0: sing out the jubilee with all the fire we can breathe
1: so trump is running for president
0: yeah he said so last night
1: and i'm gonna read you a tweet that talks about something that i want to talk about okay accomplishments trump didn't mention tonight last night brett kavanaugh amy coney barrett neil gorsuch overturning roe v wade also not mentioned the first step act which was that criminal justice reform package that he signed.
0: Yeah, I don't remember the details. It was something I think that started under Obama and then got it through right. early in the Trump administration.
1: So why didn't he mention abortion? Pro-life policies don't pull well. And he's well, no. like acknowledging that. And I don't think he was ever the pro-life president. I mean, like...
0: He ran on it.
1: He was, he has flipped, right, several times in his life, political parties, and he's never, he wasn't pro-life until like, what, a year before the 2016 election?
0: That sounds right. But what makes you think he flipped again? The policies Oh, no, I'm not he saying he
1: flipped again. I'm just saying this isn't his shtick.
0: I mean, it was for the last time he was in office. He supported consistently pro-life positions.
1: Yeah. Okay. But you and I have talked about this before. Was that actually him or was that just the people around him?
0: regardless he didn't get in the way
1: yeah I mean that's fair I just when you make the obvious comparison that everybody else is making a Trump versus DeSantis run which one do you think is going to be personally more dedicated to pro-life policies
0: I mean DeSantis signed in a pretty moderate state-level abortion restriction so if you're talking about who's going to be more crusading on it it seems like Trump yeah but maybe that was the
1: prudential choice in Florida
0: Yeah, it probably was. I'm just saying, given the data we have, I don't have any reason to think DeSantis would be bolder on that issue than Trump was.
1: Okay, that's fair enough. I'm going to ask you the same question that we've talked about also before, about Trump versus DeSantis. So one of the main reasons that you and I, well, I'll speak for myself, one of the main reasons that I voted for Trump in 2020, and I didn't vote for him in 2016, just for everyone listening. I did. (laughs) Our household vote was split in 20. Well, we weren't together in 2016. So I didn't know you. (laughs) You hadn't influenced me yet. I hadn't uh, been oppressed by your patriarchal influences at the time. Okay. So in 2020, one of the main reasons that we supported him was his administrative state picks the way that he was going to staff his administration, the fourth branch of government that basically runs all of our lives because Congress is, doesn't have a backbone to do it themselves and he did a pretty good job at staffing the agencies I mean if you were to give him like a grade what would you grade his agency staffing
0: picks a I mean I don't know how he could have done better okay so the question you asked me before was whether I would trust DeSantis to make even better staffing decisions than Trump did The only reason I would think that DeSantis might be a little better at it is he would consciously know the kinds of policies and things in the administrative state that he opposed, whereas I think Trump approached it more from a gut level, I want to fight for the people kind of thing. DeSantis might have more of the technical, discreet policy goals in mind that he wants to accomplish with the staffing decisions. I think... Trump was able to find people that he trusted who had good instincts on those questions. And I don't know how much overlap there is. But I think DeSantis is marginally better on that question.
1: I think, though, that gut instinct is a good quality to have as a leader. Definitely. And I agree. I think you're onto something. I don't see that DeSantis has that nearly at all. Like, if they were to take the Myers-Briggs tests, I think Trump would be a feeler. And then, obviously, he is, without even asking. And then DeSantis would be a thinker. Yeah. Like, I think that's a marked difference between the two. And I think the feeling part has an emotional appeal, which is probably why he's a successful populist.
0: Yeah, and to go back to the tweet you mentioned, besides saying that those three justices that he appointed to the Supreme Court got on his nerves and didn't do everything he wanted, I don't think that's what his base cares about right now and so he's sensitive he's feeling out what would make him successful because I didn't watch his announcement either but I don't know how much of it dwelled on the 2020 election either and voter fraud for instance
1: I think a large part of it did I saw some of that Twitter chatter okay unfortunately
0: It is unfortunate because I don't think he can win running on saying, oh, I was robbed last time.
1: Is that the biggest issue facing our country, though, either? I'm sorry to be like.
0: No, it's it's not. And so if he's feeling out where the electorate is, surely he would be able to tell that. And he hasn't been able to manufacture that being the number one issue in the past few years. So I don't know why he would think he could do that.
1: Mike Lindell is VP.
0: I guess so, because it seems like Mike Pence is going to run against Trump.
1: Oh, is that true? What, yeah, what did he say the other day?
0: Someone asked him about Trump running for president, and he said, I think we'll have better choices. Yeah, right. Probably himself included. And then Mike Pompeo came out and said that Trump's decision wouldn't affect his own decision. So I don't, mean run.
1: To, I don't mean to put you under the gun, but I'm going to. If you had to pick right now between Trump and DeSantis for the nominee, who would you pick?
0: I would pick DeSantis with the big caveat that I have no idea what his foreign policy is, and that is if the administrative state and how— We took that
1: same bet with Trump, though, right? And not just on foreign policy. No,
0: he ran against foreign wars, and we knew at least rhetorically where he stood. I don't know what DeSantis thinks. I mean, he has aligned himself with Trump and has generally said um, he's for America first, whatever that means. But I would want to hear some specifics, especially given DeSantis's military background. There's been some history. Do you know um, what his military
1: background is? I don't remember what branch. I'm going to look this up right okay. now because it's relevant. Okay. Ron DeSantis' military career includes both active duty and reserve service in the U.S. Navy. He was commissioned as a reserve naval officer in Dallas, Texas. And then he was assigned to the Navy Judge Advocate General Court JAG while a student at harvard law school
0: so like like david french
1: that was like not my impression of him that he was an ivy league kid
0: yeah so he has that populist cred too right
1: mm, no
0: oh what was your impression of him
1: um that makes me not like him (laughs) right because i can't identify because trump has that appeal to like the common man for some reason because it's not like trump went to like kentucky state or something no, he
0: went to wharton right
1: wow but this picture of him is hot it is like younger navy picture yeah wow. you
0: didn't like those white boots he wore after the hurricane so he no I was there. not
1: into those galoshes huh okay he reportedly worked directly with detainees at guantanamo bay okay this is like screaming war hawk to so, me so
0: given that I think it's fair to withhold judgment until he's asked directly, what do you think? So now that I saw this morning, Tulsi Gabbard's now a Fox News contributor, I think before DeSantis even thinks about putting his hat in the ring, he should interview with her and just see how different they are. on Yeah, those issues.
1: I would love to watch that. Yeah. Huh. Well, that, wow. Okay, this is a big discovery for me. This is like tainting the waters quite a bit because I am definitely like, DeSantis over Trump.
0: So what made that call for you?
1: Well, that's a, that's mm, my like number three issue, foreign policy. Mm -hmm. I don't want to send my wars over to, send my boys over to wars that, for what?
0: Yeah, same.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, here's where we would normally have our intro, but this is podcast episode number one and we haven't recorded anything yet, but, um, we can just. Tell everybody what we wrote on our little bio for our anchor profile as our introduction today
0: Yeah, we are trying to set this up as Inviting you into our end-of-day couch conversation So once we get the boys down to sleep These are the kinds of things laura and I talk about before we go to bed and We found just generally our conversations tend to revolve around how to live as free people in an increasingly hostile culture. And we thought, well, dang, we feel completely alone out here based in Lawrence. Mm-hmm. There's got to be other parents in Kansas and across the country that are facing similar things we are. And there are. And you know, yeah. there are. When
1: I, was, when I left Thomas Massey's office and I started my newsletter service, Bill Brief, I gained this community of parents who were following me on social media and messaging me about things that we were posting it was a very specific subset of people and it was like conservative parents Christians a lot of the times and we were just trying to figure out how to navigate chaos that is the world these days
0: yeah and so we see the free state podcast as like a beacon out there hey we're thinking through these things too we might not have it all figured out but we can think through it together
1: And it's kind of a callback to, you know, the Civil War era. Kansas was a free state and we're in Lawrence specifically where John Brown, you know, had his claim to fame. And also the story of Free State of Jones, I think, is very inspiring. And what is the story of Free State of Jones?
0: So back during the Civil War, there was a community of people who agreed with the North that slavery was evil and needed to go. But disagreed with the North, and that the Free State of Jones thought that black people should have full equality.
1: And the North didn't.
0: A lot of people in the North did not. They didn't they want to give full voting rights. They don't teach right. you that in public school. No. <laughs> no, North good, South yeah, bad. Right. right. No. Yeah. So the Free State of Jones was like, "Oh no, the Declaration says all men are created equal." So and we so want to everyone... be
1: like in the rubble after fallout. And you turn on your CB radio, you hear Laura and Jace podcasting from their living room about the food that we found and the shelter that we have. And we want you to come join us.
0: Yeah. So thanks for listening this far. And we don't want this to be like a news debrief. So you need to go figure out what's going on for yourself. But to think through how to live. And so we're raising two young kids. We're working from home. How is that possible in 2022, given everything that's going on? That's the kind of thing we're going to focus on. It's here.
1: really uncharted territory. Oh, yeah. Just having both parents home, working from home. And I talk about this a lot with you. I think it's I think it's great. I think it's such a good benefit for the nuclear family because. I know I talk about this book all the time and I'm not a fan of Ben Sass, but his book, I can't remember. It was like extended adolescence or something The
0: vanishing American adult or something yes
1: and he talked about extended adolescence but in that book he also talks about i think he's a historian
0: yeah i think he got his phd in that now he's back in college
1: and now he's back at flor in florida right with Mm -hmm. desantis
0: yeah we'll see if they keep him
1: okay so but he talks about just the cycle of mm, vocation and where it takes place so we were hunter gatherers people were home together more than the industrial revolution happened and so people started to go to work and commute to work and it just completely changes your lifestyle but now I think we're kind of seeing a return to that Mm, it's not agrarian obviously but people are home more in in some respects I mean there's a lot of people still commuting and going to work and kids and daycare and all of that but we are seeing in some pockets a shift back to where you have both husband and wife home contributing to the home economy
0: yeah, there's a conscious shift back to restoring an original understanding of home economics, like the unit of society is the family and we're going to figure out how to provide for ourselves and our community and not depend on these faceless giant corporations to give us enough cash to get enough debt to have a bigger car and whatever. There's a conscious shift away from that mindset, it seems.
1: I I love that so much. I saw this Facebook post the other day and it was... Gosh, it was like, and this was, of course, from the perspective of the woman leaving work, but it said, girl bossing is over. We're coming back home to relax our nervous systems, bake cinnamon rolls and have husbands who give us forehead kisses or something. <laughs> Obviously, it's like cliche, but I liked like the general attitude of that post.
0: Yeah, that seems a lot more wholesome and a good sign. Compared- and it's not that
1: easy. but No,
0: of course not. I mean, we've had... Lots of fights and tears trying to figure out how to balance being here with the boys full time.
1: But overall, I think that transition is good for everyone.
0: Yeah. And we can see the effects that some of that's having in the news. Even just this morning, Axios was piggybacking on a Washington Post story talking about how the number of adult Americans calling out of work because they have to take care of sick kids is higher now even than it was at the height of COVID.
1: Yeah, I'm going to read just a little bit to you. So these, this report is based on numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The number of people who couldn't get to work last month, so October, because of child care issues, shot up to the highest since the government has tracked the data. The data underscores how important child care is to a functioning economy, especially at a time like this, quote, triple-demic fall when more people are getting sick. October saw surging levels of respiratory illnesses in kids, plus COVID, plus the flu. So parents took time off to care for sick children from workplaces that are still short-staffed in many cases. You know, this makes me think of, I'm sorry to bring it back to, like, the abortion issue, but it really has, like, Stacey Abrams vibes of, like, we need abortion because women have to get back to work.
0: Uh, The Washington Post piece was a little longer than Axios's take, and they interviewed several parents that are like, oh, I'm on the margin. I'm making $30,000. I don't have time to take off to take care of my kids, but now they have flu, RSV, and COVID, and even if I did have childcare, those jobs have all vanished after COVID. So many people... Uh, went into different fields. And there was a chart in the Washington Post that said all of the other major industries around the country have basically recovered the number of employees they had pre-pandemic. Child care is way down still, like over 300,000 Like there's not
1: daycare centers available?
0: Well, even if the centers are available, they don't have enough teachers and workers. And And that's
1: because literally every kid is in daycare, right? Yes. Yeah, so every... And I'm just going to be really gender stereotypical just for the sake of argument here. So every mom is working. Yeah. So every child is in care. So the demand for care is through the roof, yeah. which means the prices are also going to be through the roof. Americans have more debt than at any time ever. They can't afford a $400 emergency. And so... We're paying for childcare. We're going to work. We're stressed out. We're sick. What gives?
0: Yeah, we're trying to make something work that clearly doesn't work.
1: And we did. You and I did this for a while. I went back to work after the toddler was born, Mm -hmm. and it was horrible. You can't make it all work. And I remember reading, "Baby Wise." Well, you can make it all work, but something gives. And that was—I remember reading that book, "Baby Wise," before I gave birth. And it says that in the book. And it says at some point, even if you're not working, it says something's going to have to give. You're going to have to be comfortable with the dirty house. You're going to have to order takeout. You're going to something is going to have to give you. And the two income thing is so hard because it's like we do. I think we really do live in a world that structures a two income trap. Like the government takes half of what we earn. Right. For example. Yeah. But I also think that Americans are just so consumed with debt.
0: Yeah. And that leads to a whole bunch of carry on effects and spillover effects. When we look at the last election, for instance, you can see why single households would work, vote for the Democrats more often. Because What if, was
1: it? It's like 70 percent of single women. Yeah. Voted, voted for Democrats,
0: something like that. Yeah, it was like a 70 point margin or something like that because they
1: need Zaddy.
0: Well, that, but they we're telling everyone, or not we, but advertising tells everyone in order to be happy, you need a fancy car, you need an Apple Watch, you need the latest phone, you need the best not clothes. just
1: one fancy car, you need like two or three fancy cars. Yeah, you I need look your at week- the driveways when we drive by some of these neighborhoods, and it's insane. I mean, there's like worth of vehicles in their driveway.
0: Yeah, and that's not even counting the house they can't afford. Yeah, we're just haters. I'm talking about (laughs) single people, though. Okay. And so it's hard enough for us with two incomes to even think about living that level of lifestyle. What is a single person going to do? Yeah. And so if they see a way for the state to come in and mitigate some of that, why wouldn't they be for it? Because there's no hope coming from anywhere else.
1: I want to go back to the sick kids. So you and I have seen kids with RSV. I think it came through our house at one point a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I have my tinfoil hat on about the RSV fear mongering because guess who just announced that they have an RSV vaccine for kids on the way? Pfizer.
0: Isn't that in response to demand, though?
1: Mm, Can I tell you a little bit about it? So Pfizer announces an RSV vaccine for pregnant women and seeks FDA approval. According to the CDC, virtually all children get an RSV infection by the time they are two years old. It's a common virus that produces cold-like symptoms. About 0.5 to 2% of children and infants who develop RSV may require hospitalization, and that rate is higher among children younger than six months, which is common for these virus viral infections. This year, however, the number of children falling seriously ill is significantly greater than usual. And we're not sure if that's just because people are terrified after COVID and they're going to the hospital and reporting illnesses or if that's an actual true reflection of severe cases. Doctors suspect that those who would ordinarily have been exposed to RSV have been insulated from it for the last couple of years by social distancing measures and are now driving up the numbers. Um, So earlier this, or I think it was in October, Pfizer announced an experimental RSV vaccine for pregnant women that is designed to protect infants against severe illness. In a phase three study, which I didn't know this until I wrote this, phase three means that um, it has not yet been tested for long-term effects. So in a phase three study, the Pfizer vaccine was about 82% effective at protecting against severe illness in the first 90 days and 57% effective against any illness. In that time. And then, of course, it wanes as time goes on. And Pfizer says it plans to submit the data to the FDA for approval by the end of the year.
0: So listening to all of that, what's the point? If so few children are at serious risk and the vaccine isn't a vaccine, given how quickly it wanes, what's the point?
1: Well, okay, so the baby had some respiratory thing a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and there was one day where he was having trouble breathing. I think it's fair to s- describe it like that. Yeah. Very and scary. And it was scary. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and I said to myself, like, if this gets, like, in the middle of the night, I'm like, should I, do I need to go check him? Yeah. So I get it, but I want to read you one other bit about the RSV vaccine. Mm. Um This vaccine from Pfizer was designated as a breakthrough therapy by the FDA in March. Okay, so that grants Pfizer an expedited development and review process. So they don't have to follow like regular protocols. And a White House COVID-19 advisor says he's hopeful there will be an RSV vaccine by next fall. Okay, but there was this competing drug manufacturer that was competing with Pfizer to develop this RSV vaccine, which by the way, let's just remind is administered to pregnant women in their third trimester. But this other manufacturer had to pause its phase three trial due to an undisclosed safety concern. And we still don't know what that was.
0: Yeah. So that's why I brought it up. If the risk from RSV is so low and even this breakthrough drug seems to have limited efficacy. Why take the risk?
1: You're asking the wrong person. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But so just because after COVID, like I have, complete distrust in the media and the medical establishment, I don't know how to gauge my true risk. I see articles like this that, you know, however many kids have RSV and however many, and I see it around me, but is that just because we're talking about it? Like, is this an inflated sense of danger? It's terrifying to not know what's true, like a true
0: threat. Oh yeah. And not even that. I wouldn't even know where to look to gauge that. And so we're completely... Out on our own. Yeah, because
1: obviously the 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 posts that are supposed to be there to deliver this information to us, the CDC and the FDA, they're obviously political. So
0: and they always were. Right. And so is it oh, better? That's the worst. Yeah. Is it better that we know that now?
1: We keep talking about this series of red pills that just I'm involuntarily being administered, and it's it's something. It's like my eyes are open now. And I remember when you and I were dating, I was like, because you kept, you kept like red pilling me on a series of things. And I was like, it would just be better. Like, I truly understood the phrase ignorance is bliss at one point. And I was like, it would just be better if I didn't know any of this. And now I'm the one coming home and being like, did you know? Yeah. There's metal and vaccines. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I think there's something else going on with the sick kids and like the parents not being able to go back to work. There's like this huge phenomenon that you and I talk about almost on a daily basis and that's that we don't have community help. Yeah. And I read this article in Wall Street Journal and I'll just I'll just give you some highlights from it real quick. Okay, so there was a study done by Northwestern Mutual Insurance, right? Yeah. And it's um A new study reveals Americans' magic number for retirement. Americans now think they need at least $1.25 million for retirement, a 20% increase from a year ago. And the expected retirement age also ticked up from 64 years of age compared with 62.6 last year. Now, I talk about retirement to make the connection that in the course of history, it was the maternal line would help raise the children. Like I think parents of people our age, both parents are working and they're obviously working longer. So they can't help as much with kids.
0: Yeah, both of my parents are past retirement age and still working.
1: And so they were going to work. So, and sorry, just to be gender stereotypical again, for the sake of argument, these were women who were entered the workplace in what, like the late 70s, early 80s.
0: You're asking me to do math on the spot.
1: But before then, I'm wondering if we're, what I'm trying to get at is I'm wondering if we're the first generation really to be subject to both sets of grandparents still be, like, I'm wondering if if this is the first of its phenomena, in the phenomena, we're the first in line to experience this, because I see it everywhere, this complaint that there's no help.
0: That could be, because I think it was Gen X were the latchkey kids, because both, what does that parents mean? Parents were working, so they would come home and have to use the key to get inside. Oh. But grandparents, probably, yeah, because a lot of people younger than us would have Gen X parents who were also still working, whose parents were working.
1: Yeah, and I think there's also this attitude that, like, that kind of came out of that era of both parents working, that, like, kids are kind of just... I don't know an accessory and we just need to like offload them to wherever they can go so that we can do our thing so by the time that they're 18 we're done being parents right there's no like what do we talk about multi-generational family teams
0: yeah right and well even like ben shapiro was talking about how in the jewish community whenever there's a baby you have at least two full weeks or maybe even two full months of meal trains going on and the whole community comes together to support you so it's not even just your family And so with the decline of the church in America too, you lost even that non-familial support in the community. And so people are alone. And so they can't even work anymore. So what is that going to do to the future of the country? So everybody always says children are the future. I mean, they are literally. But if you make it impossible to live alone, much less with kids, what is that going to do to the fabric of society?
1: Yeah, I see these posts on Facebook that I cannot identify with. It's moms that are talking about RSV. And they're like, don't kiss my baby. Don't hold my baby. You're going to give it RSV. And meanwhile, I'm over here like, please, God, hold my baby. Let me take a shower. (laughs) I know that we're not alone when we say that, you know, we have church. And that's great. Mm -hmm. but And I guess also, I think there's probably this phenomenon where people like us don't necessarily live close to all of our family. Right. Because everybody can move so easily and so frequently now that we're just isolated.
0: Yeah, I mean, we met in D.C., we had the toddler in D.C., and now we live 15 minutes from the house you grew up in. Yeah. And I'd say it's much better here. I don't know how we would have the toddler and the baby in D.C.
1: Yeah. No, No, I don't know how you load a stroller onto a metro.
0: No, (laughs) I've seen people do it, but it looks miserable.
1: Okay, I'm kind of springing this on you, but I want to read you a quote from Trump's announcement that I just found on Twitter. I can't do his voice. Every drug dealer during his or her life, on average, will kill 500 people with the drugs they sell. We're going to be asking everyone who sells drugs, gets caught selling drugs, to receive the death penalty for their heinous acts.
0: I mean, I can't (laughs) record my face. We're not on video yet. That seems (laughs) extreme. Uh, I'm getting duterte vibes kind
1: of drugs like we need to be very specific are we talking about marijuana are we talking about fentanyl all that rainbow fentanyl that was in the kids candy i was looking for it oh i thought we could have sold it for the house i thought he was talking about
0: the bivalent uh immunotherapies coming from pfizer and moderna but in the philippines i mean their old president used to throw people out of helicopters so
1: Someone in our circle, in our universe, on Twitter responded to this whole death penalty thing for drugs and said death penalty for drug dealers is one of the best suggestions Trump has ever had. Weed? No. Fentanyl? Yeah, probably. Depends on a few factors, but a lot of innocent lives would be saved. Because the government is really good at everything that they do, so they should definitely be in charge of murdering people.
0: Uh, they are in charge of that, but I don't think they should expand the class of people that they do um, execute those judgments on. I.
1: But did, did you see that thing, too, that after Biden announced his weed pardons, limited weed pardons, that it was like 10 months earlier he was prosecuting a guy, his Justice Department was prosecuting a guy for taking marijuana across state lines to sell it. And he was, they sought like 20 years in prison or something crazy for this like 26 year old dude who just took some weed from California where it's legal to the East coast where it's not.
0: Yeah. Sounds about right.
1: It reminds me of when he was like during George Floyd, his DOJ was still defending the cops with qualified immunity who had thrown tear gas at the protesters in Lafayette square. Hmm. And so it's just like, what is it that watch this hand over here while I do this other thing with my other hand, like the magician's trick?
0: Yeah, the sleight of hand. You Mm got to pay attention to the whole picture.
1: Yeah. And I don't know. I just think rhetoric like this is really dangerous.
0: I don't know if he, do you think he would actually be able to enforce a policy like that? I mean, Congress would have to pass a law, which is almost impossible now. It's not like Trump is going to set up like extra judicial an extra legal firing squad. I don't know. I think when he comes
1: out and says this stuff, he makes it okay. He makes it acceptable in public opinion. And what are we going to go back to like the dare just say no policy? I mean, how did that work out for us? We were, you know, mandatory minimums for people who did cocaine in the U S, but we were like facilitating shipments elsewhere. Right.
0: Yeah. That didn't work out. So I don't know why we would go back to policies that didn't work, except that that's all the government seems to try.
1: It's just it seems like this appeal to an older generation that.
0: Oh, yeah. We were talking about him trying to feel out where the electorate is. And I mean, if you turn on Tucker, he's talking about how bad marijuana is all the time. So he's meeting the people where they are.
1: I feel like everybody smokes weed now. Everybody's taking CBD oil. No, no, no. Like people are giving CBD to their dogs. Are you kidding me? I think everybody is just like it's just an aesthetic to just like the the whole anti-drug thing or like the pro-war thing. I think it's just an aesthetic because it's like we want to come off as a certain way. We want to have a certain vibe, but that's not actually how you really think. Like you don't really want your kids to go to Ukraine and die for what? You don't really want people to be murdered because they were selling marijuana, right? Like You're taking CBD to go to sleep at night because you have such anxiety after watching Vox News all day and going to work and, you know, not being able to afford groceries at Costco. Right. So So, it's all a lie.
0: Yeah, but as we said, he's trying to feel out where the electorate is and what kinds of issues will motivate them to vote.
1: The thing that I don't like about this sort of, like, trump style politics and it's not his signature thing it's it's you know persisted long before him and i don't i don't know what to call it quite yet but it's like this appeal to like i don't know strength or like coming off as being like stronger tougher
0: to appeal to manliness yeah we don't need a leader
1: no we do need a leader but it's like i'm gonna bring it back to an issue that we know something about okay it's
0: like spanking Okay. So. You want Trump to spank you. <laughs> no.
1: Generations before us. And some people our age too, they're like, you need to spank your kids or else you're not really disciplining your kids. Like yeah, right? Spare Those the gentle rod. parenting freaks. Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Spare the rod.
0: Spoil the child. Spoil
1: the child. You know what rods were used for in biblical times?
0: To protect the sheep.
1: They were not used to beat the sheep. They were used to ward off predators that were coming after the sheep. And sometimes maybe they were used to boot a sheep a little bit, get back in line, but we weren't putting a sheep over our knee because they were crying because they didn't want to put on their shoes to go to the doctor's office. It's it's not creative. It's 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 short-sighted and it's not even effective if you look at the numbers and you look at the studies.
0: Just inviting people onto our couch, we have chosen not to spank.
1: For me, I remember having this conversation with you because we were just making it up as we go. We don't yeah. we're not like reading from some instruction manual Who and is. it's and it's like sometimes i want to which scares me oh yeah want to spank which scares me
0: and a lot of our family even extended family are like just hit him
1: oh yeah they i think would that, hit him why yeah, aren't you hitting him yeah, why is he doing that right they think that we're we're crazy pushovers liberals right yeah <laughs> and you'll actually see if you look at the studies it says that especially with boys Spanking actually in the long term makes them more aggressive. You're not training emotional intelligence. You're not providing any examples for how to regulate your emotion or how to lean on reason in times of conflict. And you and I don't necessarily follow gentle parenting to a T. I don't even know if there's I know in a lot of Christian circles that there's like this anti gentle parenting thing. There might be some gentle parenting like manifesto that I know nothing about. I use it as kind of just like this easy colloquial thing to mean I don't spank, but yeah. I don't know what we do. We don't follow some phil- philosophy, but I'm like, I mean, I will tell Dawson, hey, don't be a bully. Bullies do not have friends. Bullies don't have a good time in life. Or, and we also say like, hey, you need to participate in the household. You just need to contribute to this household. If you're going to live here, you need, you know, to help out, be part of us. You need to pick up your things. That's just how it is.
0: We try to lay down the rules, and then when they don't listen, we try with lots of deep breaths to hold the line and <laughs> enforce the rule that, without though.
1: hitting. It's more than that. It's more than that. It's we don't lean down. Like I know you're frustrated no, right now, no, no, no. and we. But like I know you're having big feelings. I, he's not at an age where he understands no, he any of care. that.
0: No, but to tie it back to what you were saying about people wanting this strong leader or whatever? Are you saying spanking doesn't work? Just to play devil's advocate for a minute, if we're looking at the way... So a lot of people are saying, oh, America's weak because we've transitioned away from creating things and building things in a manufacturing economy into a service economy. And what are the characteristics that help you thrive in a service economy? They're not the masculine, strong, independent virtues that helped people found new companies and build things. They're the submissive and go-along-get-along vibes. And so if you want to restore an America where we're leading and taking charge and innovating, we need to beat that into our kids instead of teaching them to feel their way through, which is a service-oriented mindset.
1: So, But specifically about the drug reform, How is killing drug dealers going to stop?
0: He wants to communicate that he takes it seriously. He looks around, he sees... Why
1: can't we just say that?
0: Because people don't pay attention. And the only reason we're talking about it is because he used that extreme line. And so he'll say, oh, I'm going to do this instead. And then it seems a lot better than I'm going to line them all up and shoot them.
1: I hate it here.
0: Clearly... I don't know anything about predicting election results because I didn't think this is how the last one would go. So maybe he does have a way better shot at becoming president again than I would think.
1: Yeah, especially after the midterms. I am not in the predicting game whatsoever. I don't think anybody is. I mean,
0: I said that after 2016 because no one thought he would get elected the first time. So who knows? But at least we have seen in the past him saying things like that and then backing off and doing something much more sensible. And I don't think it's because some big smart person came to him and said, oh, no, you know, Trump, we should do this instead. I think this goes back to his art of the deal negotiating thing. Hey, people, I see my voter base really hurting from opioid deaths. So I'm going to show them that I take it as seriously as they do. Even though it doesn't affect my family, I'm going to do what sounds like the craziest thing in response to this major problem. This sounds
1: like an exercise in the Overton window effect when you say something really extreme and you shift the Overton window in one direction so that you shift the middle. You shift what is acceptable to a harder line. But what I'm saying is he's shifting that window in the wrong direction.
0: I think that's the danger. I don't know that that's his goal so much as it is. I'm going to get attention by saying this, and the people I need to vote for me are going to see that I care about the things that are important to them.
1: So he's testing boundaries, so we come and spank him.
0: People were saying after the midterms was, oh, look, all half of the candidates or whatever that Trump endorsed lost, so we have to go with DeSantis. But a lot of the people making that argument were the people that hated Trump anyway and were looking for any excuse to say, oh, he shouldn't run. And so the fact that they all got behind DeSantis makes me worry about that foreign policy question that we were first talking about. Because the other thing they all have in common is that they want more war. And so we've got two more years to figure out what we're going to do for president.
1: But does does DeSantis declare now that Trump's already declared? Like, does he make that, you know, does he puff up and square up?
0: So going back to whether manliness or whatever we're calling it is the determining factor of who's going to win on the right maybe but the biggest pressure I think pushing him to do that would be the example of Chris Christie back in the 2012 cycle everybody who was similarly aligned, was saying, oh, he's the manly candidate. He needs to go.
1: That Chris Christie was?
0: Yeah, back in the day, he was a superstar because he told it like it was. He was New Jersey, he was crass, and he was in your face telling Gross. the truth. Yeah. I even had professors back then say, oh, yeah, he's the guy. He's the one who has the uh, cojones to reform entitlements. He's the one that's going to do it.
1: It's so funny how fast, like, public opinion can change. I think about that in the context of Ukraine, because I can't remember the statistics off the top of my head, but it was something like at the beginning of this year when the invasion first happened, Republicans were all about sending aid to Ukraine. And yeah. they were like, mm, bloodthirsty, like they were ready to go to war. But then... As months went by and we started sending more aid and there were several tranches and then Tucker Carlson started to be like, "Mm, what's happening here? Everybody else started to be like, "Mm, what's happening here? And the numbers for support for sending Ukraine aid shifted dramatically.
0: Now we've given them more money than their annual total annual budget. And then we still don't know who or what happened to the Nord Stream pipeline. We don't. But at the same time. Now I'm questioning my tinfoil hat. There was a report last night that two people were killed in Poland by some missiles. But then I saw headlines this morning that say those missiles came from From Ukraine. Ukraine.
1: All right. So I think we're going to wrap it up. And Jace is going to tell you about how to submit voice messages.
0: Yeah. We want this show to be maybe weekly, maybe biweekly. We'll see what the kids nap schedule does.
1: And RSV. And
0: And RSV. And the like. And childcare. But we've set it up to where you can send us written questions, comments, topics that you want us to cover um, at freestatepod at gmail.com. But we're also going to be uploading this podcast through Anchor, which is Spotify's podcasting platform. And if you go to anchor.fm slash freestate, you can actually record voice memos that we can play as part of the show and then respond to. So we want this to be interactive. We're inviting you into these couch conversations so that we can figure out how to live free together. We're singing all day and you can't tame it. High tide, low tide, you know.